a young man here who has been coming to church for a little while, and uh, he's a little bit older than his uh, maturity, a little bit older than his actual age, and he's coming today to be a part of our church fishing. Keeping knows the Lord, and he's, he, he kind of he's kind of goofy once in a while, and says funny things, and but uh, I have learned nothing about Ethan so far. He wants to do something for God. It's mostly good news. He's come to uh, be part of our church officially. And so, you got something else for people? I do. So, uh, I'm trying to be a religious lay leader for uh, my uh, squadron. And I don't know if you guys know what that is. But basically, I'm going to represent the church in my squadron. So we were talking last week in our little Bible study about soul winning, and it kind of ties into what we talked about today in Bible study. So I just trying to pray for me to guide souls Amen. and to be a soul winner for Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Um, what's the from Nebraska? Nebraska. Nebraska. So in spite of that, <laughs> in spite of that, we will make a motion that we accept Brother uh, Ethan on professional faith. It's Say amen. Be part of our church. All in favor, say amen. 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 All in favor of uh, not. Uh, we don't care what you think. <laughs> All right, so let's stand, please. Speak to the front. And Francis, play something a little bit tonight. Go back to Florida via San Francisco. Pray for her. She's back a little bit sore today. And she's on a safe flight back home. And then, let's see here. Plus, I recognize this, this young couple that's on their honeymoon, uh, Joshua and Lexi. From Mount View Baptist Church in South Dakota. And so they're too young to know anything about life. And so they will soon learn what it's like to be married to each other. Uh, and then, um, let's see. Uh, the brothers are here again. They've been coming every three weeks. And uh, let's see. So they are a blessing to us. We appreciate that. song then we'll give me this hopefully 194 oh I'm sorry 318 okay let's sing 318 <coughs> 318 <coughs> Oh 
Turn to the book of Isaiah this morning. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And we're going to look at two verses, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning at verse 8. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a lot of things that happen in, in, in life where we don't understand. Many people question God. Many people will find reasons to actually doubt the existence of God because there are things that happen in this world that people quite can't explain or understand or things that happen that uh, they they don't agree with. They think that um, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing and a good God, like the Bible describes, that he should do things differently or they would do things differently if they were God. And so it's been an age-old argument about or debate the existence of God because of some of these things. And so the Bible reminds us uh, that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's many things that we don't understand at the time. And the Bible has in it, especially in the New Testament, which I'm going to go through today, is uh, what we would call a paradox. A paradox. There are some spiritual paradoxes in the Bible. Um, by the way, I was planning on preaching this weeks ago, but... Things came up with work schedule, and then I got sick and things like that. So I, I didn't um, prepare this message with the the um, the, rebel, the knowledge of the events that uh, were just shared this morning. It was completely unrelated, and so I uh, just uh, turned out to be this message this morning. But in the Bible, we have such things which is called a paradox. Who knows what a paradox is? I will tell you what, the, what a paradox is. Based on the dictionary, it says it's a seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. A second definition is a statement contrary to received opinion. So there are things in life that are paradoxes. There are things that, that seem to be contradictory, but yet they're true. For example, how many of you have heard this saying? You have to spend money in order to make money. Now, in many cases, that is true. Anybody who has ever started a business knows the truth of that. Your, your startup costs uh, will, will often be to the point where sometimes it takes years before you even break even. You have to spend money and invest money in your, your product and your supply and all of those things in a business before you turn a profit. You have to spend money in order to make money. Well. On the surface, that's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. But when you really think about it, analyze it, and explain it, you see the truth in that. Here's another one. Did you know that if you feel all tired and sluggish, did you know that exercise can give you energy? <laughs> exercise can give you energy. Well, that seems like a paradox. You might think, well, exercise makes me tired. Well, yeah, that's true too. But sometimes it will give you more energy. You get your heart rate up and you get more oxygen to the to the brain and you're breathing and all those things and your blood circulating and it'll give you energy. 
How many of you ever overslept? Did you know sleeping too much can make you feel tired? <laughs> you would think that it would give you more energy, right? It does the opposite. See, that's a paradox. So in the Bible, there are paradoxes. Now, uh, God's ways and his thoughts are often contrary to the opinions and the theories and the philosophies of this world. If you know much about this world, if you study the, the, the great brilliant minds of history and, and philosophy and, and how people uh, debate and all of these, you will find very soon that the so-called educated people of this world oftentimes are contrary to what the Word of God says. In fact, it's becoming more and more evidence to, to where, especially in the political spectrum, especially when you see these things about this, this transgender movement, you see that there are there are people that that at one time they were they were far left on the on the political spectrum and now they're they're saying that the, the left has gone so far left that these people who consider themselves liberal democrats at one point are abandoning that because they're just even those people I'm not talking about just right wing conservatives I'm talking about liberal democrats are saying the left is gone so far it is idiotic it, it, it is just so ridiculous that I don't, I'm, not, I'm embarrassed to even consider myself that position because of how extreme they have gotten. Now, uh, that's just one example of how the, the ways of the world are so contrary and, and so beneath, far beneath and below the thoughts of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can you know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So my title is Spiritual Paradoxes. So I'm going to give you three paradoxes out of the New Testament. And uh, the first one, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 39. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. And Jesus says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So our first paradox is, you must lose your life in order to find it. What in the world does that mean? You must lose your life in order to find it. Now that is a paradox. How do you lose your life and how do you find your life? Let's look at the context here because I do not believe in this immediate context, although you could make the application in the immediate context. I do not think that he's talking about losing your life in the, in the sense of physical death. Let's back up and look at a couple of verses uh, previously. Go, go to um, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And then he concludes by saying, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So I do not believe in the immediate context that it is referring to physical death, although you could make the application. There are some people, if we've seen through history and even today, 
There are people who die as martyrs because they refuse to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. But I want you to look at a cross-reference. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's look at a, a verse that's similar to this in John chapter 12, verse 25. John chapter 12, verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Are we supposed to hate our life? Well, in this passage, in this context, in a certain sense, yes. Are you supposed to love your life? Uh, in this context, no, you're not supposed to love your life. Now, what does he mean? Does that mean that we're supposed to hate ourselves and, and, uh, and just... I mean, you know, we have to exercise some common sense here. We have to look at the underlying meaning. We have to look at the context here. What he's talking about is spiritually speaking. The context is not physical. The context is spiritual. What is the world's idea of success? The world's idea of success primarily is making a lot of money, correct? If, if somebody says, well, you, you have a, a magazine, Forbes magazine, or Time magazine, and they say, the, 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 the top 10 most successful people in the world. And they would have the names of these people and they and their their measure of success primarily would be their income, their, their net worth. How much are they worth? How much, they, they're billionaires and they, they're the CEOs in the, uh, of these companies. Or some people, maybe they would be inventors, okay? So you would probably have, Elon Musk would be one of them, right? He's the, one of the most successful men in the world. And who else? And uh, these Bill Gates and the, the um, guy who, who founded Facebook, that, that guy who lived on Kauai. What's his name? Okay. So, yeah, you would probably have guys like this, and they would probably make the list of some of the top ten most successful people in the world. But they, are they successful in the eyes of God? They're successful in the eyes of the world. And so... God's thoughts and God's ways are much higher than our thoughts and our ideas and our what, what the world considers successful. And so Jesus would say that you have to hate your life in a certain sense. He says you have to lose your life in order to find it. How do you lose your life in this context? Well, one way is not dying physically, but but in a, a spiritual a devotional context, dying to yourself, dying to the world, dying to the philosophies of the world whenever they're contrary to the word of God. I think that would be the greater context. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it's not of the Father, but is of the world. He says in the same passage, uh, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Bible says, uh, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Go to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, it gives us a warning about don't let anybody spoil you through certain things. Colossians chapter, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 8. It says this. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So Jesus, when he says you have to lose your life in order to find it, 
what he's talking about is losing your life in the sense that sacrifice, 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 sacrificing, making sacrifices, uh, sacrificing worldly pleasure and, 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 and philosophy and, and, and the, the rudiments of the world and the things that would try to, to go against um, anything that is of the word of God. That's one way to lose your life. Uh, you know what the world says? The world com commonly says this. They say, well, by you living the Christian life and, and, and living according to the Bible, you're missing out. You're wasting your life. You're missing out on all of these things, all these worldly pleasures that the world has to offer you. And you're wasting your life. And uh, I've heard people tell this to me personally. I uh, This brings to mind this, this years ago, one of my coworkers who was always arguing and he was an atheist and he was always trying to cast doubts against the, the Bible and trying to make up the, these arguments and things about uh, how the Bible and how belief in God was irrational. And I distinctly remember one, one night at work, he said, what if after you die, you find out that the Bible's not true and you missed out on all of this fun? Aren't you going to regret it? Well, think about this. He, as an atheist, doesn't believe that there is any afterlife. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no nothing. Once you're dead, it's just like the death of a mosquito. You cease to exist. So if that's true, no, I will not regret. Even if, even if the Bible ended up not being true, I will not regret. You know why? I won't be able to regret. I won't exist. <laughs> See, if, that, if what they're saying is true, nobody will regret anything because they'll be wiped out of existence. They will no longer have any conscience to regret anything. They're just, it's like a mosquito that, uh, he's dead. Does a mosquito regret anything that he did during his life? He can't. Even if he could, even if he had that intellectual capacity, he cannot. He's gone. No regret. So no, I will not regret. <laughs> but let's say there is some sort of afterlife. Maybe there's a, a different religious system that's true and the Bible's not true. Will I regret? Uh, it, it Well, that depends on what religion is true. <laughs> if there is a religion that's true other than the Bible and I would suffer some sort of consequences for not adhering to that religious belief. If Buddhism and Hindu is true, Hinduism, I'll be reincarnated. Will I regret? Uh, based on what I've studied from their teachings, people who are reincarnated based on their karma, they don't regret because they don't have any memory of their past life in order to correct the mistakes from their past lives. So even those people that are reincarnated into a, a lesser life form because of their bad karma, from what I've studied, they don't even have the capacity to remember their mistakes, and so they don't regret. If I was reincarnated into a frog, would the frog regret that he made some mistakes? They say he doesn't have any knowledge of his past life, so no. Uh, so you know what's very ironic? Well, actually not ironic, but as years went on, and this guy who was having all this great fun and was criticizing me for missing out because I decided to live according to the Bible, he ended up losing his wife, losing his job, losing his house, alcoholic, in and out of AA meetings, 
ended up being homeless, and the only refuge he has, what he had at the time, he told me this personally, there was a friend who allowed him to sleep in a hammock in the, in the guy's backyard because he had no place to go. And the guy told me, he said, I was, I was addicted to alcohol so severely that the first thing I did in the, in the morning when I woke up, I had to start drinking because I was shaking so bad. Boy, have I missed out on some fun, haven't I? Huh? <laughs> Being homeless and drinking beer for breakfast because I'm suffering withdrawals? Man, I, I, I've been missing out. This, this Bible stuff here, I have a nice house, a nice family, and a nice job. And uh, Boy, I am missing out. I am such a fool, all right? Man, this guy has it made. And here I am. You have to lose your life in order to find it, the Bible says. The world's idea of, of life does not deliver. The Bible says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You read about these celebrities, almost every other month, there's some new celebrity making the headline in the news. So-and-so was discovered dead, alone in his apartment, in, his, in, in some hotel room. How old was he? 40 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old. Huh. What happened? Well, they don't know yet, but you keep on reading. They say, so-and-so, you know, he starred in this film, and this, and he played this role, and he the whole world is mourning. And you keep reading. He struggled with opioid addiction. He struggled with alcohol addiction. He had checked himself into rehab six months ago. Ah, okay. There's a clue there. There's a clue. We're still awaiting the autopsy and the toxicology reports a month later. Oh, the, it's been confirmed. There were three different drugs in his system at the time of his death. He most likely died from heart failure caused by... It's been ruled that it was a suicide. There was no foul play involved. It's been a, it's, it, it happens all the time. These guys. Rich, fame, fortune, all they had all everything going for. They according to the world standards, they were successful, right? What happened? They were depressed. They were addicted to drugs. They killed themselves. They ended their life because they were so miserable they thought they would be better off dead. And the world says they were successful. Jesus said you must lose your life in order to find it. The world system does not deliver. Now, following Christ, how do you lose your life? Following Christ. Now, it, it is true. Following Christ, it may cost you some things. It may cost you some friends. It may even cost you some family members. The Bible says, if any man have a, an unbelieving wife and she depart, let her depart. That is true. That people have, they've lost fa family and friends and things like that. I've heard uh, where there are some Orthodox Jews where if the if a Jew gets saved, his family holds a funeral for him because they, they disown him. They say, you left our religion. You're no longer part of our religion. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We consider you to be dead. Did you know under Sharia law in Islam that it is a capital offense if you leave the religion of Islam? 
They call you an infidel. And uh, as far as uh, strict Sharia law is concerned, they think that you're worthy of death for doing that. Paul said, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Said, Paul said, Yes, I've lost many things for following Christ, but you know what? I'm glad that I lost those things. In fact, those things that I lost, I, it's worthless compared to what I have in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you must lose your life in order to find it. How do you find your life? Well, there's many ways you can, in this context, what it means about finding your life. Number one, you can find purpose and meaning in life. I've heard so many testimonies, and you who are saved, and myself, I can remember before I was saved, what was my life? What was my life? After, I, after you get saved, you find meaning and purpose in your life. Many people... They, they say before I was saved, I, I didn't know what, what I believed. I mean, my way of thinking, the, my lifestyle, I was just a slave to the flesh. And it was just like a blind man, didn't know where I was going. And then when I, when I got saved, that Bible verse rang true. The truth shall make you free. There are uh, inmates in prison that I have ministered to. And they say, you know what? Uh, it, I'm glad that I, that I got arrested and incarcerated because once I got to prison, that's how I got saved. That's how God got my attention. And there are men in prison right now incarcerated and they are more free inside than they were on the outside because on the outside, they were just a slave to the world, the flesh and the devil. They were just doing whatever their flesh wanted them to do. They were addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol and all kinds of criminal activity and behavior. And then they got incarcerated and they got the gospel and they got saved. They got born again. They got their sins washed away by the blood of the lamb. And now they are free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Nice. And they are free, although they're in prison, they are free, spiritually speaking. Nice. They lost their, in that sense, they lost their life in order to find it. They lost, they lost all of the privileges on the outside. They lost, they lost connection to their family and friends and and job opportunities and, and, and all of those things, they lost those things, but inside, in prison, behind prison doors, they found their life through Jesus Christ. You must lose your life in order to find it. Not only that, there's the abundant life in Christ. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Abundantly. The abundant life in Jesus Christ. I attended a, a home Bible study years ago, a, a handful of times, and this man who was teaching the Bible study, he was originally from Molokai, local guy, pigeon accent and the whole bit. And he gave his testimony and he says, before I got saved, I was a howly, hating, angry man. Howly. Caucasian. <laughs> Me, right here. Howly. I was a howly, hating, angry man. He told me a story about when he was surfing. And of all people, a white guy. He was visiting another beach. And, the, and a white guy who lived there, you know, localism, 
told him to go in. And he said, you never tell a local boy to go in. And he said, he paddled in and he sat there and waited on the beach for hours with a, a tire iron or a, a metal pipe or something waiting for that guy to come in and he was just going to beat that guy senseless. He said, I hated white people. He said, I was a howly, hating, angry man. An angry man full of anger. Hated the world. Blaming everybody for his shortcomings in life. Victim mentality. Angry, filled with hate, hatred. And he said, God changed my heart. And he ended up sitting under a pastor who was just as white as me. <laughs> Not me, I wasn't his pastor, but he ended up going to a church sitting under a pastor who was a howly. And he said, God changed my heart. God changed my heart and gave me a new heart like the Bible says and like David said in Psalms. And of course, obviously, when you find your life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. You must lose your life in order to find it. I remember when I was in Bible school, uh, one of my classmates and I were going door to door, giving out the gospel. We knocked on this one door. There was this uh, house full of college-age girls. And uh, we were trying to witness to the person who had answered the door. And one of the girls, one of her roommates, walked past us and saw us and as she walked by she said get a life we just kept walking in the house get a life talking to me and, me and my uh, friend who were going to go oh, get a life you guys what a bunch of losers wasting your time going around trying to give the gospel get a life if she only knew if she only knew and one day she will know get a life get a life we we have eternal life we have eternal life. We did get a life. She's the one who needs to get a life. She needs to get eternal life. All right? So Jesus said, you must lose your life in order to find it. Number two, let's look at another paradox. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. What? How can you be weak? How can you be strong when you're weak? When I am weak, then am I strong? You have to become weak to be strong. When I am weak, then am I strong. Paul, what do you mean by that? If you read the passage, Paul said that he was given something that he termed a, a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. An infirmity of the flesh. Something that was some sort of physical infirmity. He doesn't specify what it was. Some sort of illness, some sort of sickness he called a thorn in the flesh. And he said it bothered him all his life. In fact, he prayed to God three times that God would take it away. God, please take away this, this thing. It's hindering me. It's bothering me. It's, it's hurting me. It's inconvenient. It's painful. God, and he's, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. And so Paul, instead of getting mad at God and saying, okay, God, fine. If you're not going to take this away from me, I quit the 
many people do. They get mad at God because of circumstances. Paul said, you know what? Instead of me getting angry and mad at God, here's my response to God telling me no to my prayer. He says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities. Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in it. You know why? In persecutions, all these things that are associated with the ministry that I have to suffer. And in the Christian life, he said, in distresses for Christ's sake, all of these things. He said, I'm going to rejoice. You know why? Because when I am weak, then am I strong. How is Paul strong when he is weak? Basically, Paul, because he was physically weak because of this thorn of the flesh, it in a way forced him to rely on God's strength. And God's strength is much stronger than our own strength. Therefore, it was able to strengthen him. It was able to make him stronger because he had to tap into God's strength instead of his own strength. In uh, Joshua, he said, For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the whole armor of God, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your own, his might. When you rely on God's strength, it makes you stronger than relying on your own strength. Right. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The world says, believe in yourself. No. Believe in God. Right. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying you should, shouldn't have any self-confidence or anything like that. But if you just trust in me, 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 I'm the one, I'm the one. No. You're going to fall. You're going to be disappointed. You have to rely on God's strength. Not your own strength. You ever heard of the, a, a Chinese finger trap? It's kind of like a toy. Come on, kind of like, uh, kind of like one of these jokes, or not, not really a magic trick, but it's kind of something to, to tease somebody with. And I, I think I, I had some before. I think I brought some to church years ago for the kids to play with. It's made out of something kind of like straw or something like that. You know these. Um, these mats and these hats that the Hawaiians weave with those leaves, okay? So it looks kind of like that, but it's not green, but it's the same concept. And it's it's like a it's like a hollow tube. And so the way you use it is you go up to to your uh, a friend, your your chosen victim that you want to play this trick with. And you say, you ever seen a, a Chinese finger trap? Okay, so you, you tell them, stick your finger in here. And, and the other person sticks his finger in there in this hollow tube, and so you have two people sticking their finger in and he says, now pull it out. And you pull, and it's kind of snug, and so you want to pull it harder. The natural tendency is to pull harder once you feel some resistance. And the harder, the thing is, the, the way this is designed, the harder you pull, the tighter it grips your finger. And so you, you know, you're tugging and tugging and pulling and, you know, have to pull hard enough to tear it, but the trick is to relax and just pull very, very softly and gently, and your finger comes out. If you pull too hard, it just grips your finger hard. It's kind of like a little, a little toy to trick people with. It's called the Chinese finger trap. And sometimes that's what happens with people when they want to accomplish things and do things and they're relying on themselves and their own strength instead of God's strength or God's will. Oh, I'm going to try to do this. 
Oh, it's not working. So I'm going to try harder and harder and harder. And the harder I try and the harder I go with my will against the, the will of God, the harder it gets and the, the trap just gets harder and harder and harder. And the trick is be still and know that I am God. The trick is to relax and let God have his way in your life. Now, I'm not saying just be completely passive and, and not do what you're supposed to do and relinquish all responsibility, personal responsibility. I'm not saying that. But when it comes to God's strength versus our strength, his will versus our will, Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, Samson got kind of complacent and self-confident and careless. You know, his, how his life ended how did his life end? Well, the Philistines, they gouged his eyes out and he brought a building upon himself and died. And we know that he, that was God's strength that he tapped into one last time. But still, that his life didn't end the same way Elijah's did. There was a pastor who was talking about people that, that try to do things their own way instead of the, the, the way that God has instructed us in the Bible. They want, to, they want to rely on their own strength instead of God's strength. And this man was having some marriage problems. And he came to the pastor for marriage counseling. And the pastor said, okay, uh, based on your situation, here's what the Bible says. And, and so this is what you need to do. And this is based on what the Word of God says. And the man said, you don't understand, pastor. That won't work in my situation. The Bible won't work in his situation. This man was saved. Church member. That won't work in my situation. Why? He was doubting the power of the word of God. Wanted to do things his way. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. Well, on the flip side, if you're trusting in the flesh, when I am strong, then am I weak? You trust in the, the arm of the flesh will fail you, the Bible says. All right. Number three. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And our last paradox of today is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. By the way, that, that, uh, that phrase, believe in yourself, Reminds me, one time I was in Waikiki passing out gospel tracts. I had a, a scripture sign that I set up on the sidewalk leaning against this tree, stumping up where I was passing out tracts, had my Bible, and I had a sign that said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's 1631. And this girl, about 18, 19 years old, was walking by, and as she walked by, she yelled, You shouldn't tell people what to believe. And then two seconds later, she said, believe in yourself. Believe in your higher power. <laughs> you just said, don't tell people what to believe, and now you're telling me what to believe. <laughs> believe in yourself. Believe in your higher power. What is your higher power? Well, my higher power is God. <laughs> you know, I, I believe you. Believe in your higher power. If you have the right higher power, if your higher power is just something a figment of your imagination or is yourself, 
Believe in yourself. I can't even get over the flu <laughs> by myself. How is that going to accomplish anything? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Well, believe in yourself when you're on your deathbed. Now, let's see how that's going to come out, work out for you. Believe in yourself on the day of judgment. What's that going to accomplish? Look how good I was. Good luck. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Become a fool to be wise? Does God want us to be a fool? Why would God want us to be a fool? Well, he wants us to be wise. That's what he said. And the context was, if any man be wise in this world, let him become a fool. What is he talking about? Does God want us to be ignorant and stupid? No. That's why he gave us the Bible. Let's look at the context. The context is a fool in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of God. Look at verse 19 and 20. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. In the Bible, there is such a thing as godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. You understand? Godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. God does not want us to have worldly wisdom. God want us, wants us to have godly wisdom. Does that mean that, that we should not go to, go to school and study? And, no, he's not talking about that. The wisdom of the world is kind of like in the, the, my first point I made where the world has their philosophies and their ideas of success and, and, and all of those things. That's the wisdom of the world. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So in contrast, what, what would be wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God? Well, let's see. Let's make a chart here. And there are certain things that the world says that are completely opposite to God. How about uh, when it comes to the origin of the universe and life as we know it? What does the world say? Oh, evolution. God says no. Creation. What does the world say when it comes to if they believe that there is a heaven and a God? Oh, the world says, well, there's many ways. No one way is better than the other. And nobody, who's to say who's right and who's wrong? There's many paths and many rivers that flow to the same ocean. There's many ways. And if you believe in Jesus, well, that's just your way. But, but you cannot say for other people around the world that their way is, is, is not just as valid as yours. And God says there's only one way. My son. The world says when it comes to all these world religions, ecumenism. That means all these different religions getting together and, 
and, and uniting for a common cause. And people say, well, there's, you know, there's so many similarities between all these different religions. And they're all basically the same. And so we should all get together and unite. And, and you know, if you read the teachings of Buddha and the teachings of Jesus, they're very similar. In fact, some people teach that Jesus, uh, during the, the, his so-called silent years, he traveled uh, to the east and, and studied under some of these um, these people that, that um, taught the Buddhism and things. And so that's what influenced the Bible. And the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Separation. God says, no, they're not all the same. The world says, the decisions you make in life and all of these things, they say the most important thing is that you are happy. Happiness. They say, find happiness. That's the most important thing in life. Oh, you have a lifestyle that certain people don't agree with. You have a lifestyle and orientation that where you were raised differently and, you're, and you have to now reveal this to your parents. They say your parents should affirm that. Your parents, your parents should say, as long as you're happy, that's what matters. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Bible teaches God's will, God's word is what's in, what's important, not your personal happiness. In fact, the reason why God gave us all of, a lot of these commandments in the Bible is so that we would be happy. A lot of these people that that come out. And have these alternate lifestyles and things. And they say, well, this is what makes me happy. Well, and in fact, in the long run, it doesn't. A lot of those people are miserable. And they think that it's going to make them happy because that's what the world told them. That it would make them happy. And studies have shown that, no, it doesn't make you happy in the long run. They're very miserable many times. Become a fool in order to be wise. The world, they think that we're fools. If you ever watch any of these atheist debates and go on these, these um, websites and things and, and look what other people say, you know what they say about us? They say because of our belief in God, they say they ridicule you and they say, Well, that you have an imaginary friend in the sky. Oh, that makes that makes me feel so stupid. Oh no, no, I, I no, I, I don't want to think that. I don't want to be brought down to the level of a child, an imaginary friend in the sky. That's so embarrassing. No, I'm much smarter than that. I'm intellectual. I shouldn't, I should abandon that old superstition. That's what they say. You have your imaginary friend in the sky. You're a fool. According to the world, God says you're wise. You know, the U.S. Secretary of State, William Seward, when he signed a treaty with Russia for the purchase of Alaska, you know how much he purchased Alaska for? $7 million. You know what that is the equivalent to? Two cents an acre. Two cents an acre. He made that purchase. And did you know when he made that purchase, he was ridiculed by Congress and the press. And they called it Seward's Folly. His 
great mistake, or they called they called the purchase of Alaska Seward's Icebox. And President Andrew Johnson, they called it the Polar Bear Garden for purchasing Alaska for two cents an acre. And later they discovered it was rich in natural resources and it was one of the greatest investments of all time. That guy, the press, and every all the politicians in the whole world at that time, they considered that guy a fool for making that purchase. But he was wise. It, it ended up being a very wise purchase. The world says, you're a fool for believing in God. You're a fool for believing the Bible. And God said, being of you to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Many people, they fear ridicule. They fear ridicule. You're a racist. You're homophobic. You're Islamophobic. You're xenophobic. You're misogynistic. You're this. You're that. You're that. They usually they throw around these terms to try to intimidate you, make you feel like, oh man, maybe I am. Maybe I, maybe I should rethink this. No, just just learn and get some evidence. And then when you then you when you try to press them on what they believe, when it boils down, these people, these atheists, you know what they believe? They believe everything came from nothing. They believe the universe created itself from nothing. And then they believe that life came from dead, inorganic matter. And they believe that life learned to reproduce. And then they believe that life became more complex. And and you're calling me the fool? And you're accusing me of, they say, oh, well, you if you believe in the supernatural, here's another, another buzzword. They say, well, you believe in magic. I believe in magic. That's what they use instead of the super for miracles, magic. Try to make you feel stupid. Wait a minute. Everything coming from nothing and that's not magic? Life coming from something that's not alive, that's not magic? Life learning to reproduce, reproduce itself, that's not magic? Life and then a, a single cell all, and for years and years and years and years and now we have a brain and a heart and all of these reproductive systems and digestive system and immune system and everything. They have found out that just like that just the a living cell is more complex than what the last thing I heard from scientists is just a living cell is more complex than the space shuttle. And you're saying I believe in magic? No. You know what a magician does? All this, you know, pulling out that scarf out of his hand. Look, it's magic. It's magic. There's nothing in my hand, right? I've done magic tricks before. Amateur magic tricks. You know what they do? They have... I, I, did, I had this thing. It's. It looks like a finger. You know these fingers for Halloween like a cut-off finger or something? And so it looks like a finger and you stuff this real thin scarf in there so tight and then you put that on your finger and you, look kids, look, there's nothing in my hands, right? Well, you're actually wearing this rubber fake finger with a scarf in it. Look kids, nothing in my hands, right? Real fast. Well, watch this. And you start pulling that scarf out of that, that rubber finger that fits like a little glove on your finger. Look, look, a scarf coming in. It's magic. It's something coming from nothing. And they say, look outside. All the stars and the planets and the whole universe, all of this came from nothing. That's magic. <laughs> That's magic. Oh, look, there's a coin behind your ear. Look. Boy, it's magic. Your life, your Christian life, 
should be a paradox. A paradox. Something that seems contradictory, but it's actually true. You know, Christ's life was a paradox. His whole life was a paradox. The Lord of glory, the creator of the universe, came down in the form of a man. Could have just snapped his fingers and had people drop dead every time they ridiculed him. Could have had them struck down by lightning. Could have called angels to come. Could have done whatever he wanted to convince them that he was the son of God. Could have done whatever he wanted. Yet he was humble. And he died like a lamb led to the slaughter. His life was a paradox. People studying the scriptures this is this was this is the creator of the universe. All things were made by him. This was God in the flesh. God coming down, born as a baby, needed his diapers changed, needed to be burped, and he's the creator of the universe. This is God. That's a paradox. That's a paradox. Is your life a paradox? It should be. In some ways, your life should be a paradox in the eyes of the world. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these examples in the Bible about these spiritual paradoxes. I pray that uh, these, this message would be encouraging, uplifting, challenging to people here, comforting, and that we would remember to lean on your word and, and your understanding and your will, not our own. In Jesus' name.